0: Today's Very Lutheran Broadcast also belongs to the long-form email answering broadcast thingy. Because we're going to be answering an email that both applies to the general long questions we occasionally get in email, but also applies to very specific Lutheran issues. So let's go ahead and get into that right after a couple verses that I think are good for springboarding here. From 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Also from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed Rightly handling the word of truth. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're going to go ahead and read the entirety of this email and then answer it piece by piece. From Cox Invictus here. Good day, lads. Good day, brother. I've been working my way through the lay preacher training offered by the denominational body that he works with. And I think some of the questions and topics might make for show content. I've just finished up the Law and Gospel module, which was about how to preach law and gospel within a sermon, as well as how to identify the parts of Scripture which reflect law and those which reflect the gospel. The way I've understood it is the parts of Scripture which accuse or point out our failures and those parts which heal and forgive our failures the stumbling block, and the bandage. Each of the modules of this training includes some questions I'm supposed to discuss with my pastor, but as I was reading over them, I thought they'd make for an interesting episode of the Very Lutheran Project's VLL broadcast. The questions were, paraphrased, What do you do to ensure that you have clearly heard the distinctions between law and gospel when preparing your sermon? How do you use the whole of the scriptures when writing sermons? How do you use other sources, such as confessional and doctrinal writing, as well as commentaries when writing sermons? What disciplined process have you developed for your sermon writing to ensure that you do proclaim the whole of God's Word? These questions do focus heavily on sermon writing, but they got me thinking about how we preach generally. From one-on-one conversations with people to no-holds-barred flame wars on social media. What do you, VLP proprietor, do to ensure you're striking the right balance between law and gospel? I found it very easy to give the people I've argued with the law and those I'm friendly with the gospel. But striking the balance is difficult when all you want to do is... Bro rocks at the latest bad faith actor. The Lord bless you and keep you, your brother in Christ, Crux. Well, good brother Crux, I've got a lot to talk about here when it comes to all these. So let's go ahead and let's clarify something about law and gospel. All of scripture can be divided, properly speaking, to law and gospel. However, when we do this, we have to understand that there is nothing in a particular pericope that tells you, with a bright neon sign, this is law. We do run the danger occasionally of mixing up our hermeneutic response methodology with the hermeneutic structure of what we are reading. For instance, Proverbs chapter 1, starting in verse 8, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head, and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, Come with us, let us lie in wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive, the whole, like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods, we shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us, we will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain it takes away the life of its possessors so if we look at that passage here from proverbs chapter 1 and we are so dead set on a law and gospel dynamic without any other context or understanding of the text the meaning of this passage in proverbs is you are bad you hang out with bad people you suck The end. We'll go ahead and just ignore the plain words of Scripture in verses 8 and 9. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Meaning there's honor, there's glory in listening to your parents. And here's the first thing I want to tell you skip out of hanging out with these criminals here, avoid doing what is wrong. There's motivation given to us in the text. If you follow this wisdom, which you should do, there is honor there. And by the way, you're gonna die if you end up taking the life of a criminal. If you take up a life of criminality, you're gonna die. You think you're gonna be smart, you think you're gonna be rich, but you're gonna suffer some serious consequences. That's just the general wisdom of it. The passage itself tells us its purpose here. And how do we know even more about that? It's wisdom. It's Proverbs. Proverbs is trying to give us wisdom on how to live the good life. King Solomon wrote this for our benefit, that we should listen to it and follow these commandments, these suggestions here of holy wisdom. But if I take my understanding of Lutheran distinctives and impose them on the text such that I can ignore the plain meaning of the Bible here, and I can ignore what it tells me it means, what it tells me on how to read it, then I'm going to look at this through a bizarro world lens of, if you tell me to do anything, you just want me to feel bad. That's it. Lutherans so often fall into this trap of hyper-focusing on the second use of the law, such to the point where we miss out what the Bible is actually saying to us what it's actually saying for our benefit. It's really weird, and and obviously we can blame guys like Gerhard Furda and stuff like that for it, but if you actually pay attention to what the text is saying, you will have a broader understanding of the law when it is preached to you from the text. You will have a broader understanding of what you're supposed to write down for your homily. It's important to mention this before getting into the answers for your specific question, those bullet points you sent me, brother, because at the end of the day, if we end up being so reductionist in our theology that every single sermon sounds the same according to the same exact pattern, we're not good pastors. We're not doing our job. We are not rightly handling the word of truth, and we are screwing up. We are failures that are dishonoring Christ and stepping all over the word, And the Holy Spirit will flee from us as we end up destroying our ministries. Preaching is serious business. We have to keep that in mind. If you understand that the Bible speaks to you before the Lutheran confessions, this will make your job a lot easier. You will be a more dynamic preacher. You will preach well. Now that said, yes, law and gospel. These need to be preached. That's what a sermon is. If you just look at a piece of the scriptures and talk about what it says for an hour, then that they call it expository preaching out in Baptist land, but it's not. It's just a Bible study session that you said in front of a pulpit. It's not really a sermon. And people can say, oh, well, well, the difference between expository preaching and Sunday school is you apply it to people's lives. Okay, but you're still not actually... Preaching, You're just having Sunday school and then you're trying to tell people to do stuff because of it. Even when you're in like 1 Kings and just explaining an event that happened, there's this really, really weird tack that I learned when I first was taking homiletics and Bible school here. That said, we have to go to the text first. Then we start looking at law and gospel. So, your first question. What do you do to ensure that you have clearly heard the distinctions between law and gospel when preparing your sermon? My answer to that is to let the text preach to you before you preach on the text. Going back to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, let's look at the order of what St. Paul says to St. Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. One. A worker who has no need to be ashamed. Two, rightly handling the word of truth. Three, so before you get to rightly handling the word, you must present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Meaning, if I am going to read the pericopes in the lectionary for what I'm going to preach in the week, I need to examine myself and wrestle with the text as well. I mean, this is part of Luther's doctrine on tentatio. You really do have to wrestle with the text first before you can call yourself a preacher. I have to look at the exhortations, or the commandments, or the bad examples, if there's a narrative story as part of the Old Testament reading, and I have to look at myself and go, okay, there's law here. How is there law? Let me see what kind of law presentation is given is this a condemnation of sin like you would find in jeremiah well then i need to repent of my sins is this a matter of wisdom like we read in proverbs a how-to guide on faithfully following the law and applying it in your life well okay now i'm looking at the third use of the law that's a lot of proverbs there and i'm asking myself how am i doing with that how am i applying that I need to apply it to myself first as I examine its meaning. So, of course, you do your exegetical work, you find out what the text is truly saying, you do your interpretation, and then you apply it to yourself and you go, hmm, okay, am I one approved by God? Well, chances are no, so I should be repenting of this sin. Am I a worker? Am I trying to obey what God wants me to do? Obviously, if it's something in Leviticus, where we read from the ceremonial law, I'm not going to be able to go do a sacrifice or anything like that, but I can ask myself, am I keeping myself holy? And I'm going to apply this and go, okay, first I'm going to have to repent of a sin. I'm just going to have to do that. The second use of the law is going to hit me first. And I should pay attention to what way the second use of the law is hitting me. How is the law beating me up? Then I should look at, how am I doing as a worker who has no need to be ashamed? We'll get to the shame part here. Am I a worker? Am I doing it? Well, I better be doing it. I don't want to be ashamed. But further about the whole has no need to be ashamed thing, the good flip side of this is when there is gospel in the passages, I'm preached to first. I'm hearing the good news before anybody in the congregation, before anybody listening to the very Lutheran Project's sermons. I am hearing the good news before any of them. So if St. Paul is calling us to this kind of introspection here before we rightly handle the word of truth, and by that, by handling the word of truth, that's talking about preaching it, proclaiming it, writing down your sermon. That's how you're handling it. Before that point, you're just studying the word when it comes to a sermon. You're studying it. You're listening to what God's word is saying to you. You're applying it to yourself and trying to put it into practice. And you're rejoicing in the gospel, in the cleansing light of Christ, who has forgiven us of our sins. Chances are I might have to go to confession too. But then, then I go about the work of handling the word of truth in the crafting of a sermon now somebody is going to raise the alarm bell there are the watchmen and they're gonna say to me that's enthusiasm quote unquote pastor i knew you were a fake a phony you are being (sighs) subjective oh i hate that word so much subjectivity in how you handle the word of god oh my gosh why don't you just go be a charismatic I fully expect some well-meaning, or not so well-meaning, Lutheran to jump down my throat saying that when they hear about how I go about preparing to write a sermon. But here's the thing, am I being subjective by applying God's Word to myself and seeing how I personally react to it? Kind of. I'm just reading the text. The text is going to speak to me objectively. I look at its objective meaning. Again, you have to do your good exegesis here. But in the middle of that, I'm going to hear what it says to me. I'm going to see how I process it. Because otherwise, I'm not going to have any tack on how anybody else is going to process the text. If I just read it with an emotionally blank slate here, I can't preach it. I can only reword it that's not preaching. Rewording scripture is not preaching. I I want you to drill that into your head a million times. If you got to write it on a chalkboard or in a notepad 500 times, rewording the text of scripture is not preaching it. There's nothing there. I mean, you might as well just tell people, okay, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, everybody open up your Bibles and we're just going to read the passage again and again for 20 minutes, and I hope it sticks. You can't do that. There is emotions involved with how the text of scripture impacts us. And for people out there who don't know their right hand from their left, theologically speaking, who aren't good at reading the Bible, who are too Busy to get into a very deep devotional life. We can't all be Teresa of Avila or Spaner or anybody that's more pietistic. No matter the denomination, people got their nine to fives or they work 12 hours a day, six days a week, and they come to church for you to help them. So yes, emotions get involved. And emotions, by the way, that's not a dirty word. It shouldn't be. God gave you emotions. It's okay to feel them. God gave you the ability to see how the text affects yourself, and then he gave you the ability to express this to everybody else. I recently preached on the prosperity gospel and how we deal with money and the anxieties around money. Guess what? I had to first ask myself, am I feeling that about money? Times are tough for me. Money is tight. Oh my goodness, I need to preach this to myself before I can preach it to other people. It was pertinent for my life. <laughs> so what do you do to ensure that you've clearly heard the distinctions between law and gospel when preparing your sermon? My answer to that is look at the text and let it preach to you first. Then try to apply it as best you can, both the law aspect and the gospel aspect. And definitely the third, use of the law because you are not a worker if you are an antinomian. There is no such thing as an antinomian pastor, biblically speaking. If you don't think you have to do what the law says then um, you cannot be a worker that is rightly approved now the next question is how do you use the whole of the scriptures when writing sermons i have good news for you you don't have to well you do but you don't you do not as a pastor have to preach on every single text in the lectionary readings for that sunday If your denominational body requires it, then sure, you do. But I'm going to tell you right now, as a pastor, you don't. Sometimes a text pops out to you as you're praying on what to preach on. And it could be the Old Testament. It could be the epistle. It could be the gospel. And if you're feeling spicy, try preaching on the psalm someday. It's great to preach on the psalm that people have for that particular Sunday. It's a lot of good fun. But ultimately... When we're talking about using the whole of scriptures, we're talking more, at least on my end, about exegesis. You want to interpret scripture with scripture every single time, which means you're going to be using the whole Bible and all the knowledge you've accumulated to see, okay, what does this verse mean? Okay, I'm having a tough time. Let me see if there's a cross-reference here that opens it up a little bit to me oh, this, this particular passage isn't very clear, but okay, here's the topic on that passage. Let me go to another passage that is clear on that topic and try to understand it from there. When you're doing exegesis, you will be using a lot of Bible that you don't necessarily have to reflect in the sermon. Remember, a sermon is not a Bible study. You are preaching to people, not just the throwing Bible at them and rewording the scriptures for 20 minutes. It has to be using the Bible to understand the Bible. Use scripture, let it interpret scripture. And then, then we get to the third point. Because you also ask right after that, how do you use other sources, such as confessional and doctrinal writing, as well as commentaries when writing sermons? Well, that's part of it. When you do normal exegesis, you first start with the text itself. What does the text say? Then you have to double check your conclusions on that by reading the surrounding context in the book. So if you're reading out of Ephesians chapter 2, say the first 10 verses, it's good to read maybe the, the verses before that and after that to get a sense of the text as a whole. Then you're also going to be looking at, well, where are the cross-references in scripture to make sure that I'm not just reading the text as though it existed in a vacuum. Then you wanna look at the other passages in the lectionary. Typically, lectionaries, the people that write them are really, really clever, and they really like to have a theme for that Sunday from the various passages. So you gotta ask yourself, am I rightly perceiving the theme here in the lectionary that they put there as kind of a shortcut for sermon writing. Oh, look, there's five passages here all about resurrection from the dead. I guess the lectionary writers want me to preach on resurrection, but is that warranted for the application of the text that I'm seeing in my own life and for our church? So then, after all that, you do your work, and then you have to check yourself with confessional and doctrinal writing and commentaries. You want to make sure that you are not an innovator, so you look at how other people like Martin Luther or one of the church fathers, you check their interpretations of the text as well to see, okay, am I going out and innovating? Am I trying to be a hot take machine when I should not be a hot take machine? Am I making sense here? And then you also have to ask, like, am I going outside of doctrinal bounds? I don't want to accidentally preach heresy, and that's where the confessions come in. Because, unfortunately, it turns out it's pretty easy to accidentally preach something false. And you don't want to be that guy. You really, really, really don't want to be that guy. You don't want to say something that the Bible doesn't say or go against the Bible. Heaven forbid you do that. So think of denominational confessional writings and commentaries as security guards, the last checkpoint that you gotta pass through to make sure you don't have any contraband, false doctrine and stuff. You're not making anything up. You're not going outside the bounds of scriptural truth. That should be the very last step. In fact, I wish for, for Lutherans everywhere, I wish Lutherans spent more time in the Bible than in the confessions. Because look, the confessions are not inspired scripture. If you act as though they are, and if you think every single line is divinely inspired, or you act that way, you are in sin. Because in your heart, you are adding to God's word, and the scriptures explicitly state that that is a sin. Don't. But they are there to help you. They are there as a, you know, the Book of Concord is a true interpretation of Holy Scripture. What it teaches, I'm not going to deny but it is there to help you as a pastor. It is not there to tell you exactly what to preach. That's what the Bible is doing. (laughs) (sighs) I'm sorry, I'm laughing because there have been times where I heard a dude's sermon, and it was basically he just opened up his formula of Concord and read from it, and it was boring, dry. It wasn't really a sermon. It, It wasn't even really law and gospel let alone any sort of impactful homily for people. It was a pathetic excuse for a sermon from a pastor who knew better and should have done better, but I suspect that he just didn't have the time to really get a full transcript out. Now, your last point here says, What disciplined process have you developed for your sermon writing to ensure that you proclaim the whole of God's Word? Now, again, because I have a different opinion than some guys. Some guys and some Lutheran pastors will say, You need to find the unifying theme between all the lectionary readings and preach on that. Now, I'm going to say when it comes to the whole of God's Word, it is the true and accurate message of the pericope I'm preaching on. I have to get it right, 100%. You have to be very careful when handling God's Word, or you have failed, in that instance, at being a minister under the Lord Jesus Christ. So you do your exegesis, you find out what the text says, you apply it to yourself, you go through all of it, and when you see where the law is, you see where the gospel is, you do that, you do that for yourself, so you can relate intimately with what the Bible is saying and how we properly respond to it. Then you go back, you do more exegesis. You do your cross-references. You go to the church fathers or whatever commentaries you have, especially Luther. I'm very partial to Luther and how he read Scripture. You make sure that you're not coming up with something new. If you did get it wrong, you start all over again. And you keep doing this until you have the message. Now, sometimes this can end up being a very short process. Some passages of Scripture are so on the nose that it is easy to go through this process. It could take maybe six hours, tops. But other ones are going to be really hard. And really hard. It could be very, very difficult to come up with a real sermon when everything feels obtuse or just oblique. You have no idea what to preach on. And then you go through the whole process, you write up a sermon, you read it and you're like, wow, this is garbage. I wrote total and absolute dog poop here. I got to redo this. And suddenly what would normally take you six to 10 hours to write up is now taking you 40 hours. It happens. Don't be too hard on yourself. (laughs) Don't tell yourself you're a bad pastor or a bad preacher just because it takes forever. And sometimes God has us really wrestle with the text like that. He really wants that because you get to experience these scriptures first before your congregation does and maybe they're cheeky if you're on the one-year lectionary maybe they're starting to read into it first but you're getting paid to do this this is your job this is what you have to go through all week and they don't have that kind of time nor the resources for it and chances are because they haven't been going through seminary or bible college they don't know the first step here Then, after I've gone through all of this, then it's time to proofread. And in the process of proofreading, you got to make sure that you have an actual message. Yes, law is good. Yes, gospel is good. Third use of the law. Yes, all three of these are parts of the sermon as you preach, and in that order, properly speaking. But that said, the issue that a lot of guys come up with is they think they can shotgun blast it scattershot every little point and thing that comes into their head as they're writing their sermon and there's no unifying message Their thought is there's something here for everybody, but that doesn't really work Not everybody is going to be able to see every little thread here They're not going to see a unifying message if you do this scattershot thing If there's a baby Christian in that congregation, you need to make sure your sermon is simple enough to appeal to them, to get that message to them, but also has enough understanding of high theology so that the -the brain-on-the-stick elder out there who comes to church every day with his copies of (laughs) peeper under his armpit, you know, that guy out there who's like, yes, why yes, I do happen to have bondage of the will in my jacket pocket. Let's so let's see how you preach today, pastor. You got to have something there for everybody in a unified message that everybody understands. So that's the what you might call a disciplined process that I do every week for preaching. And again, sometimes it's real easy. Sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes you have to stay up a bit at night because you have no clue how you are going to get all of this done while you have other stuff to write, record, study, people to visit, shut-ins to give communion to, and everything else. But the sermon has to be preached on Sunday. Now, can you have it without a full manuscript? Sure, you can have it with bullet points if you're good at improvising. But I would caution you... That at the end of the day, if you're a brand new pastor, write a manuscript and stick with it. It really does require skill and experience and getting used to preaching and being able to read a manuscript and look up from it and remember the general tack of what you were going to say before you go about the business of improvising and just having some bullet points on a piece of paper. Every now and then I have to, and even I don't like it. I like getting a manuscript together and sticking with it. Now, the last thing, um, law and gospel in our everyday interactions is a minefield. People have this idea in their heads that if somebody's bad, if I say that they are bad, then I give them the law. I'm a total jerk to them, and I just yell at them, and that is all that I do. That's not biblical. It really isn't. And honestly, Lutherans that engage in that sort of thing and only go about spitting out the law because everybody is an unrepentant sinner in their eyes, they are in danger of getting into the lordship salvation heresy. Because it is very easy to think these people are impenitent, therefore they don't deserve to hear the gospel, ever. Really? So you're saying, That somebody has to kneel before you and beg for your mercy before you are willing to share the gospel with them? Really? Can you judge everybody's heart like that? Are you really willing to say they're saved by their works in this way? Is that how the prophets preached? Oh sure, the prophets were all about preaching the law, but let's look here from Hosea chapter 14. Last chapter of Hosea. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us, we will not ride on horses, and we will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. In you the orphan finds mercy. Okay, there's a bit of law there. Tells you what to do. Hey, this is how you should be repenting. You need to turn to the Lord your God. And Hosea has been preaching the law over and over and over again. But then what does he say to these impenitent, ugly sinners that have no intention of giving up their idols? What does he say? In verse 4, this is the word of the Lord. This is God speaking now in the pericope. I will heal their apostasy, I will love them freely. For my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take roots like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, What have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Here is Hosea in one chapter, Hosea chapter 14, giving us law, gospel, and third use. And this was him preaching, giving this message to northern Israelites who had no intention whatsoever of repenting. None. And he is giving them promise and hope after telling them, this terrible stuff's going to happen to you for not repenting. Turn back. Turn back. Now. Here is the law of God. Turn back to the Lord your God. And they hear that, and then he gives them the promise. Here is the good that will come upon your obedience. Oh, my goodness. Hey, you know what? You don't even deserve it. Just trust in the Lord here. He can save you. Here is Hosea preaching the gospel to people who don't deserve it. Now, I know there are many well-meaning Lutherans who would go, that's throwing pearls before a swine. Oh, my gosh, Hosea. But when you think about your interpersonal interactions, the problem is is that you do not know the hearts of your hearers entirely. You do not read minds. You are not the omniscient God who can see everything. So law and gospel have to come into play at all times. Now I know that's hard because sometimes you really want to just throw rocks at guys and by all means there are a lot of uh, messages and conversations where law is going to predominate everything you're saying. When you tell somebody they have to repent. When you call somebody a dum-dum for hating Jesus. Absolutely. But if they've never heard the gospel whatsoever and they are entirely ignorant of what that means, who am I to say that they don't have a guilty conscience constantly burdening them? And if you throw out just a little bit of gospel maybe that's the one thing in in the midst of the law here that they understand wait so you're telling me i need a savior oh that's what he does oh that's what he did on that cross for me i really should listen to this maybe you'll plant a seed but if we honestly assume that every single thing is about law and gospel in our conversation like oh hi jack shut up barbara I know you haven't repented of that sin. Also, not even a good morning. I would give you a good morning, but you're an evil sinner. If that's every single interaction, you're a psychopath. In all honesty, let yourself be human here. You are not a walking copy of C.F.W. Walters on the proper distinction between law and gospel. Please don't be that guy. You can have normal conversations. It's fine. Like A lot of people seem to assume that they are actually prophets, and every single person they ever interact with has to have this message. And that's, that's really not the case. In all honesty, let's say you have a friend that's a, that's a pagan that worships Odin or something like that. And he, you were actually somehow his friend. You can hang out with the guy. And every now and then, yes, please invite him to church. Please invite him to hear the gospel. But you don't have to see law and gospel as an evangelism dynamic in every single interaction that you have here. And I'm assuming this isn't you, right? But there are people who would say that if you post Jesus loves you on social media that you're in sin, because what if you're giving the gospel to people that don't deserve it? Oh my gosh, that you're such a horrible sinner. Like, don't let people talk to you like that. Anyway, I've been at this for about 37-ish minutes. And I have stuff to do, but I love you all, including the person that emailed me. Thank you very much for that thought-provoking series of questions. If you have more, or if I missed something, hey, just let me know. Shoot me another email at very-lutheran at tutanota.com, or send me a letter. (laughs) We do have a P.O. box out there on verylutheran.biz. But until then, hope to catch you all on the flip side. Amen and amen.